Red Cloaks Radio is a production of the Boston Red Cloaks. Hi, this is Jesse with Red Cloaks Radio. I'm joined by my co-host today. Hi, I'm Karen with Red Cloaks Radio. Hey, we've got a fabulous guest. Hello, State Representative Lindsay Sabadosa. Hi there. It's great to be with you again today. Great to see you, Lindsay. It's a it's a big week. We're talking the day after Kansas voters took a fabulous step forward for abortion rights and securing protection for people to be able to access the reproductive care they need. And we are here on the heels of the Massachusetts legislature closing the session. Are you well rested? You guys were up all night. <laughs> I, I think I'm starting to uh, to have caught up on a bit of sleep, but yes, it was a pretty intense session. But I, I have to say, uh, lack of sleep is one thing, but way more important was that vote in Kansas. So um, I think like many of us, I was just, I, I, I quite honestly, cried when I saw the results because I was very afraid it was going to go the other way. Um, I made my donation to the Kansas Abortion Fund today because now that abortion gets to stay legal in Kansas, uh, we have to make sure that it's supported. And I am just so over the moon that there was a very resounding pushback against these horribly restrictive laws that we're seeing in some states. And I'm hopeful that this is going to be inspirational to other groups throughout the country. I hope so as well. I mean, if that's what we need to do, if we need to go state by state and reaffirm mm -hmm. that there is a constitutional yeah. right, then let's do it. Um, I think there's energy on our side. And quite frankly, we're at the point where we are arguing that they are killing patients by taking away the right to abortion. <laughs> you, know, you can't call yourself pro-life if you are asking women to bring in uh, discharge to prove that they are in sepsis. Uh, it's cruel, it's unusual, and it shouldn't be happening in 2022. So I, I hope that this will continue to push the movement towards this state-by-state -state fight. And you know, here in Massachusetts, we will be ready and we'll be continuing to expand access to the greatest extent possible. Well, tell us about that, uh, because a lot happened, and there's been a lot of balls up in the air, and so we're, we're a little um, unsure about how things came out in the end, and you've been a sponsor and a co-sponsor for a number of really important uh, processes that will extend abortion health care. So let's start with the medication abortion on public college campuses. So that piece of legislation was included in the omnibus abortion bill that was passed by both the House and the Senate, and the governor signed with no objections. So that was very exciting. We were not certain that would be the case. But that bill was included, so it is now the law of the land, and we are going to have to focus on implementation. The legislation does not require campuses overnight to make this switch. One of the things that has been very important to me, and I believe all the advocates, is that we want this to be successful, which means we need to work in partnership with the Department of Public Health and the UMass campuses, the state universities, and the community colleges to find plans that work best for them. But I will say, um, because someone made me think about this a little bit this morning, when I think about some of the positive effects this legislation will have, you know, first of all, I think students just knowing that this has passed means that they're going to start talking to their health centers on campus. And that is really important because we live in an era where other states, particularly states like Texas and Oklahoma, are passing laws that also infringe on privacy rights. And so we want to make sure that patients who are searching for health care have their 
privacy protected. That means that students, when they go to their health centers, aren't looking off campus. They're not inadvertently ending up at a crisis pregnancy center. Now, I've seen so much in the news about crisis pregnancy centers lately, and there are some people who are trying to spin these centers as just, you know, well-meaning people who want to help pregnant individuals. And were that the case, that would be awesome. But since they don't have licensed medical professionals, they are not subject to HIPAA, which means that if you go in and take one of their free pregnancy tests or a free ultrasound, which are things that they offer, even though they have no one who actually knows how to read an ultrasound or operate an ultrasound or tell you what that ultrasound means, that they can share that information. And they could share that information with your home state. They could share that information with anti-choice organizations. You could find your email in your phone number given out because there is no protection. Mm -hmm. So we're keeping students away from CPCs with this legislation. And the other thing we're doing is we're really starting a movement that I think has to happen across this country where we bring abortion back to primary care, where we bring abortion back to your OBGYN. There is no reason you shouldn't just be able to go to your doctor's office. One of the I'll say one of the mistakes, I, I say that lightly only because I have a hard time judging historically the actions we've taken. I wasn't there. I didn't get to make those choices. But I think with the the benefit of hindsight, one of the mistakes that we've made is to keep abortion only in clinics. And mm -hmm. when you do that, there's a place for protesters to show up. There's a focal point. There should be no focal point. This is healthcare. People should go to their doctor and end of story. So the bill in in great ways starts that movement and i think there's there's more that we can do coming up but i'm really excited for this first step and i'm really like just ready to dig in on the implementation part and we've been watching california do this um, and i think we have uh, good role models out there that's absolutely brilliant that idea of uh, taking it out of out of clinics and putting it in the hands of healthcare professionals who know what to do and it's all private and you're in you're out you could be going in there for toe fungus exactly <laughs> right? or, like, the many reasons we all go to the doctor or an OBGYN, right it's nobody's business why you're there um, i've seen in massachusetts just a phenomenal number of physicians and midwives and nurses say i want to offer abortion care how do i do it so we're moving in the right direction with that we need to see other states do the same I have a but, question yes, that's come up from a listener, which is, what is the difference between emergency contraception and medication abortion? Sure. So, and, and it's a great question too, because just, I wanted to go back to the omnibus legislation and emergency contraception is included in that. So emergency contraception is, um, is similar medication even to, um, to birth control, but it's in a much larger dose. And it's something that you take generally within 48 hours of having um, unprotected sex. I think that's probably the best way to describe it. So you think you, you, you participated in some form of sexual activity where you think, oh, I might've been pregnant. I don't think my protection worked. I want this backup. What it does is it, it triggers your period. Um, and so basically your uterus sheds its lining and egg cannot implant. So it's preventative. 
abortion or medication abortion uh, is performed when you know that you are pregnant and medication abortion is is different it's a two pill regimen the first pill changes the progesterone levels in your body which means that your body can no longer sustain a pregnancy it's actually hormonal um, which makes a lot of sense because pregnancy is all about hormones so the first pill um, changes the hormone levels in your body so that you cannot maintain the pregnancy it changes your progesterone level and then the second medication which you take, um, you might take one, sometimes it's four, your, your doctor will tell you how many to take, um, and you can either take it orally or vaginally, that will lead to, much like uh, emergency contraception, it will lead to the shedding of the uterine lining. Um, and so you will experience what is, uh, you know, depending on the person, it could be like a period, it might be heavier than a period, um, there's some cramping, uh, usually the indications are have a nice heating pad ready some comfortable like nice food some soup some tea if anyone has experienced a miscarriage um, it's very very similar symptoms medication abortion is only available within the first 11 weeks um so we're talking about um you know uh, very early in uh, in a gestation period uh, otherwise you would have to go through aspiration abortion which can be different depending on how far along you are it's really helpful we've had this conversation Last night, if yesterday was Tuesday, it's a long week. We had a conversation that we're going to make a commitment to try to talk more openly about the biology of how sex works, how pregnancy works, because sometimes we in our own podcast have glossed over things. And actually, many of us didn't have good health education. There's a lot of people, regardless of age, who are not always completely certain, which is why sometimes emergency contraception is absolutely necessary. People aren't sure, is what I just did? Could I, could I get pregnant that way. So we want to get a little more specific. So I love that you want to be more specific because I think knowledge is power, right? And one of the things we've seen the anti-choice movement do is they've really talked about abortion as if it's like back alley and dangerous. And even this idea of like coat hangers, right? Like that's not what this is. We are talking about medication that you take in the comfort of your home. And um, that really, you know, brings on your period to, to terminate a pregnancy. Um, so if people out there are curious and they want more, there's this great um, publication you can find it online. It's called Sam's Medication Abortion. It's like a cartoon. Um, and it really explains very detailed, like this is what an abortion looks like. And it's probably good. You know, my daughter's 15. It's something I would share with her. She would yell at me because I'm her mom. But if there were another trusted adult, I'm sure she would be fine with it. Um, there's also more and more literature for younger um younger children about abortion. And they're not as graphic, but it really tries to explain that abortion is part of life. So uh, there's your local bookstores may carry them, um, but uh, there's one called What is an Abortion? I'm trying to see if I have my copy around here. I have one for my office and one at home. Um, and it really just kind of says like, abortion is a thing that happens. Sometimes you get pregnant, sometimes you miscarry, sometimes you don't want to have be pregnant and you have an abortion. And it kind of walks it through in like, a, and we love all people, you know, whatever their choice is, because this is a choice. So it's great that these things are getting out there and becoming more and more common so that people can share the resources. And it just takes away the stigma and says, this is not scary. There's a true lack of understanding of the biology of being pregnant, says she who has never been pregnant. But most people think, okay, you're pregnant, everything's wonderful. And you're, you know, your body's just going to get bigger, but you don't worry you know we're gonna have a shower for you and things like that <laughs> but yeah but really there's this you know almost catastrophic bodily change that takes place before during and after 
Oh, the um, after part. We really don't like to talk about the after part, right? Because then there's like a cute baby, so you can just ignore the the birth parent. <laughs> but but yes, the the things that your body actually needs in order to heal from pregnancy and to um, you know to to thrive and be cared for, we as a society do not like to talk about that. Um, like the restoration of your pelvic floor, like you can talk to friends about it and watch them squirm, but it's real, right? Like yes. in other countries, this was fascinating to me. So in France, they pay, there is part of, of their national health care that you can get, um, uh, pelvic floor PT after pregnancy, because it is important. Like everything has moved around and changed and you need to like strengthen those muscles again. And here we do not want to talk about it. So I, I appreciate you bringing it up. Um, I want to go back to emergency contraception for a second, because I think when we're talking about knowledge, it is also very important to know that emergency contraception works based on weight. Now, I, I am not a scientist, so I can't tell you if it's just like muscle or fatty tissue or what it is. But if you weigh over a certain amount, the over the counter um, emergency contraception is not going to work for you. And it's not a huge amount. I think we're talking between 150 and 180 pounds. After that, you have there is emergency contraception you can take, but it requires a prescription. In this legislation, we did a couple things. We um, first of all, we allowed emergency contraception to be available in vending machines, which is super important in college campuses, right? Like we heard immediately from all the students, yes, that's where we want it. Um, and we also uh, created standing orders for emergency contraception because just the word is emergency. So you, if you weigh over 150 pounds, which is, I don't know, probably most of the United States, um, you don't have to go to your doctor. You can have a standing order so you can go to the pharmacy and get that prescription when you need it, as opposed to waiting that extra time to get the appointment, get the prescription, and then go and pick it up. So I, I was really grateful um, for the medication abortion on public campus piece, but also that emergency contraception piece because it's really a game changer for a lot of people. And I don't think it's like abortion in general. You don't think about it until you need it. You know, most people, oh, well, I do, you, both of you do, but most people don't sit <laughs> around thinking about abortion all day um, until it becomes prominent in their life. You talked about it being the omnibus abortion bill. Something that we notice is that it seems like something has happened where our legislators in the state have got on board to looking at this from a sort of a 360 perspective, which as advocates and activists, it didn't feel like that during the Roe Act. It felt like it was more difficult. Some people like you were, some people were right out there doing it, but something seems to have shifted with more people being either comfortable talking about it or understanding. And I'm just curious on the inside, what, what do you notice about that? Because you all acted really quickly here. Yeah, I think, I think that you're right. So just for example, right, some of the difficult pieces of the Roe Act for uh, for legislators and, and probably for, for many people beyond the legislature. And we all are always responsive to our constituents and what they say. But there was, I think, when the Rock was passing concern about the 24-week piece and what that meant and what we were allowing. And, um, you know, most terminations after 24 weeks are pretty dire situations. So you are able to kind of win hearts and minds when you describe what it it's like to have a very desired pregnancy and then find that you have to terminate. Um, so that was a little bit of a sticking point with the Roe Act, sort of bringing people on board. And then the other piece of it was the parental consent. Um, and there was a lot of 
debate because I think at the end of the day, we all, we all want to think the world is a place where every kid has two parents and those parents are super supportive and are always going to do what's right for that child. And the reality is that that is just not the world we live in, no matter how much we might wish it. And so I think the Roe Act got hung up primarily on those two pieces. But we passed it and we passed it because a lot of legislators got a lot of education around those two parts. So we were already starting off in a better place this year. And then what else happened? Well, then the Dobbs ruling happened. And all of a sudden, the face of the people who were seeking termination after 24 weeks was on the front page of the Boston Globe. And they were talking to legislators in the state house, which was very different during the Act. It was much harder for people to come forward. And I think people have just decided that there is no point in being quiet, right? Like we're not we're not winning by not saying hard things. And so when you are talking to a woman who at 35 weeks had to travel out of the state of Massachusetts because something we put in the law made the hospital think they could not do the procedure we thought they could, then what? Do you, how do you say no? How do you argue with her? How do you say, you're wrong, I'm so sorry, the language is fine? Of course it's not fine. So having that face and hearing these stories, and it, you know, I, of course I'm referring to Kate Deenan, who is a complete hero and someone who is a friend and I love because we have um, spent the last two years talking about this together, but um, it's not just Kate. You know, you see these stories on NPR, you see these just horror stories of a 10 year old in, in, in Ohio where people want to say, oh, that's just the media making things up. And then you find out, no, that is that is not the media. This is real. The doctor comes out, they arrest her rapist. Like, so people are moved by that. And I think it's it goes back to why we have to keep talking. And the more we talk, the more we share our stories. And when we share our stories, we realize we're not alone. And when we realize we're not alone, we feel empowered and we can make changes. Absolutely, absolutely. Other highlights in the abortion bill that we should just bring out? Yes, so one of my favorite pieces because it's another uh, piece of legislation that I filed along with uh, Senator Cindy Friedman and uh, Rep. Ruth Balzer is a, the piece that eliminates cost sharing that eliminates cost sharing for all abortion and abortion related care. We had originally filed the legislation for it to be full spectrum. So to eliminate cost sharing for abortion, reproductive loss and pregnancy, you know, insurance companies worked with us on this language and they're not quite there in eliminating cost sharing for all types of reproductive health care. But I think the abortion and abortion related care was a huge first step. Um, it is, actually going to change lives in Massachusetts because people will be able to afford care. And we were able to get MassHealth to say we will eliminate cost sharing for reproductive loss and pregnancy as well. So that's um, you know, really targeting some of our lower income residents in the state. And it's at the very least ensuring that they don't go into medical debt uh, while giving birth or, or suffering a miscarriage. And we're gonna go back and keep fighting to make sure that that is the case for every resident. It's really helpful because when you imagine someone who has a miscarriage and then the care that they need so that they don't go into septic shock, the care that they need to preserve their ability to have all the reproductive parts operate properly, um, having, having that be something you simply can't afford or that you have to put on a credit card and pay off and maybe you know not be able to make your rent next month. It's just 
it's just not right. So it's a big deal. And one of the things I'd, I'd like to highlight too, is if you, if you were able to turn in, I know not everybody watches the house debate, you know, day in, day out, but if you were able to tune in, um, a lot of the legislators spoke about that, about having had a miscarriage that did not complete and then needing to access abortion care in order to, um, to continue that miscarriage because they were no longer, they did no longer had viable pregnancies. And I think it is very, it's significant that people said that because I know, I mean, my mother had three, maybe four miscarriages that I can remember. Um, and we didn't talk about it as abortion. You know, I know that she had a DNC. I know that these things happened. She had to be hospitalized multiple times, but I, we never said, oh, she had an abortion, which is effectively the care that she did receive. And so it's important to start saying that because when you have states that are trying to ban abortion because they don't know what it is, you, if you start to say, yeah, do you understand that when someone has a miscarriage, this is what we do because it's the same care. And if you're banning it, you're effectively banning miscarriage, which I, I don't know how you ban miscarriage. I mean, I, <laughs> that's, that doesn't seem very feasible. So it was important that a lot of, um, a lot of my colleagues got up and they shared poignant stories that um, I don't think we'd heard before. It makes a really big difference. It really does. And I think it's something Karen talked about recently. It's having your elected leaders be leaders. And sometimes it means, you know, stepping out and sharing something and then more people realize, okay, I, I actually could share my story too. It might make a difference. It might make a difference with, you don't know, your brother-in-law, your person at work. And maybe not everybody feels comfortable, but since it's about one out of four women, of reproductive years, it's a lot of people and people are transgender as well. It's it's a lot of people who are going to either have a miscarriage and need an abortion or choose an abortion for their own reasons. And I will say, um, because you, you had just mentioned transgender individuals, I was very proud that this legislation did not just address abortion, it addressed gender affirming care as well. And I appreciate that the legislature viewed the two as deeply interconnected, right? Because we're seeing, and it's not even the same states, but we're seeing states go in all kinds of crazy directions. And some of them are now trying to ban gender affirming care. Florida, which you know, has the semi-restrictive laws around abortion has not tried to go further in light of Dobbs, despite their governor um, being, I, I apologize, but just completely insane. Um, but he is trying to go after transgender youth and trying to prevent children under the age of 18 from transitioning and with some of these bans effectively requiring them to transition back or to detransition. So Massachusetts taking the position that this is all healthcare and you need to protect all healthcare was, I think, the right move. It's definitely the compassionate, correct. I mean, it's just, it is what to do. So much has taken place in this legislative session. Do you want to just share a quick highlight or two? Oh, goodness. Um, I'm really excited that we got a climate bill done. I, I think that that is just absolutely critical and we're going to need to do a climate bill every session so that we can stay on top of um on top of things i'm also really grateful that we got a cannabis and social equity bill uh passed i'm on the cannabis committee and we worked really hard crisscrossing the state talking to people about what social equity would should really look like because we have failed in that respect 
Um, I'm really happy. I live in Western Massachusetts. I'm really happy we have a Western Mass Rail Commission that's getting off the ground um, and we'll be looking towards expanding transportation, uh, you know, hopefully across the state and then right uh, into Connecticut and New York and Vermont. So that was exciting. Um, I feel like I'm missing things from last year, which is kind of what happens in the legislative cycle. Um, things move really quickly. Oh, um, I guess it's a little bit wonky, but I, I was able to get through a bill where you can now use CPA dollars to rail bank, which means that you can buy defunct rail lines to turn them into rail trails or greenways for mm. biking and cross-country skiing and all of those Yay. things. And um, I represented, before redistricting, a community where the bike trail went up to the town line, then it was a railroad track, and the bike trail picked up again afterwards. So we're, uh, we're connecting that, and it was a pretty exciting win um, for people who don't want to have to be in cars all the time. And who wants to be in a car all the time? It was, I think, overall, a, a really good session. There is a lot, there's always a lot left to do. And I think I get a little frustrated sometimes because people are like, how could you recess? And it's like, but we can come back. Like, and we will come back because if we could legislate and be done with all the problems of the world in 17 months, then like, wouldn't that be wonderful? But again, not reality. And we have to be responsive to what's happening in the world. I think too many people have absolutely no understanding of how hard you have to work to get anything done. And not because of resistance, but just because of all, checking all of the boxes and the travel involved and the phone calls and the, the laws that you have to read. Listening to you, having listened to Cindy on Saturday, um, Kansas, I just feel this huge wave of optimism that we've got to get these stories out to people and let them know that victory can come in big swats or it can come in little steps, but there is victory to be had. And thank you for being a leader, Lindsay. Oh. Thank you. And thank you. That was very inspiring. I feel more hopeful now having listened to you. <laughs> so thanks so much, everyone, for listening. Thanks so much for being here. We really appreciate having you. It's officials across the Commonwealth who make decisions that help all of us thrive. Till next time. You've been listening to Red Cloaks Radio, a production of the Boston Red Cloaks. Find us at bostonredcloaks.com 